0: Register today at this is ilS.org Hey men, and welcome back to the 48 Men podcast. We uh, are just so thankful that you're joining us for another episode. Uh, if you're confused by my intro, I just feel like I always say "What's up?" and welcome back. so I wanted to kind of change it up. And uh, my team and my guests uh, provided little assistance, so Uh Hey Men was kind of the one that we went with. Actually, there was one that we thought of, but we just did not feel like it was fitting or appropriate for the podcast. So uh, all that to say, (laughs) welcome, my good friend, Chad Barfield, to the podcast.
1: Man, Christian, it's good to have me here, too.
0: I'm loving you being here. (laughs) I I wish you were here with me in person, but uh, we're grateful for technology that we can do this uh, over the camera technology stuff.
1: So true, man. Nonetheless, though, good to see you. hear your voice. Always love spending time with you. So appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, it's great to have you. Well, if you're looking at this stud right here, Chad is a uh, youth pastor. He's also a comedian and he's a golf lover slash golf fanatic who... Uh, we filmed this before the Masters, but uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but Chad's a big Masters fan and uh, loves golf, and we're just happy to have him on the podcast.
1: Yeah, people tell you to wear green for St. Patrick's Day, Christian, but I I actually boycott that. I save all the green for Masters week. So every every day, Monday all the way through Sunday, I'm wearing something green related on Masters week. So, Do you think you could compete in the Masters? Heck no. Heck no. It's Masters for a reason, not rookies. If it was an event called the Rookies, I'd be out there. But
0: What do you think you would actually score at the Masters?
1: You know, it's funny you ask that because I just got back from a lunch 30 minutes ago and a bunch of my buddies, we play golf, you know, in Auburn here. And they were like, what do you think you would shoot? And in full optimism, I want to say that I could shoot 78. But in reality, I think if you put me on a tee box at the Masters, I'd be so nervous. I think I would whiff my first shot and then would probably shoot 88 to 95. (laughs)
0: Because I've never, I'm, I'm awful at golf, you know. Because I played baseball, and I know that's not really much of an excuse, but every ball I hit just shanks right. It goes a couple hundred yards, but it's like there's no telling where it's going. I've only ever, um, I've never played golf and not lost a ball. (laughs) Like even on one hole, I'm saying like if I'm playing eight, if I'm playing, let's just say I'm playing hole 18, I've only ever one time made it to a hole without losing a ball.
1: That's right. That's, That's terrible. Right. Well, for every ball you lose, you need to find one while you're looking for it. That's true. What once was lost is now found.
0: That's true. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll get into that in just a little bit because <laughs> we've all been lost and now we're found. Uh, That's right. But no, I mean, you, you're actually super good at golf though.
1: Yeah. Growing up, that was the sport for me. We didn't do babysitting growing up. Ever since, really, I could use my legs for walking. my uh, My family would drop me off um, at the golf course and that would be at sun up. And then the next time I was told to be where I was dropped off was sundown. So it was a full day. I got to, I got to do whatever I put, you know, my efforts toward. So it was either golf tennis or the swimming pool. I really didn't love swimming. I was trash at tennis. So I decided to get good at golf pretty much from the age of 10 growing up. And then if you remember, you know, I come from a golf family. So my uncle, he's the head coach at University of Alabama, which is tough because you know I'm an Auburn guy, but uh, I still support, still support those guys over there just because it runs in the family.
0: Wait, so did you just say from the time that you could walk, your parents would drop you off at the golf course and pick you up at sundown?
1: Yeah, so pretty much like two years old, I was out there by myself with all the old guys. Because that's what no, you I'm just kidding. said. <laughs> yeah, it is, but maybe maybe more so around ah, tough, maybe sixth grade, sixth seventh grade. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, in the summertime, that was it. If There was no school. I was out there. That that was babysitting for me. But I made a lot of friends out there. So kind of good community from a young age. So do much you, fun. playing Do you with think people. you could have
0: gone to go play golf at Alabama?
1: Heck no, not Alabama. There's a few schools. Um, what about nepotism? High school. What's that?
0: Nepotism. Yeah,
1: I mean, a few. I I I wish. I wish I could play at a big name school like that, but I wouldn't. I wasn't as uh, elite as some of the other guys coming out of high school. So,
0: but I mean, at the same time, I mean, from what I know, you 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 didn't invest too much time into it, though. I mean,
1: yeah. Retro- it, I mean, it,
0: retrospect, I mean, you know, I think from, from 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 what I've heard, if you took it more seriously, I think I think you actually could have gone to play somewhere like that.
1: Yeah, I would. Yeah, I could agree with that. I think a lot of it was just I enjoyed the game too much to let competition get in the way of that. And as weird as that sounds, I was always way more interested in the people I was playing with than maybe the competition at hand. So I played in high school, played pretty good, and then a few individual tournaments, which I did enjoy, but it was like, if you put before me a full day of golf and an opportunity to go hang out with friends, that was where where I was probably sold short because I would try to go hang out with friends sometimes more than I would play golf.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of friendships, can you share the story of... How we met and when our first time hanging out was, because I don't really remember our
1: first encounter, but you might. Man, there's so many stories I wish I could tell about Christian Huff. You have no idea, but this guy, this guy that you guys listen to, it, it's good because he's still a best friend of mine. But he, uh, he was introduced to me freshman year at Auburn. Um, the first time Christian, I remember us meeting, was in the back of a truck. That I believe one of our other friends was driving at the time, um, and we were traveling back from like the Red Barn to a house, and we were we had mutual friends at the time, but I don't think we had been formally introduced, and so we met there, and then a couple weeks later, as per Auburn typical events go, we were at a bonfire together. That's when I remember us having like the first real conversation, and uh, my favorite story, if I can go and go into it, when we went to go get dinner. In spring,
0: I, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's appropriate to share it.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. No, this is going to compliment you so well. Oh, thank so, you, thank you. So, Christian had asked me um, spring semester my freshman year, which I can't go into all the details of my fall semester. It was really hard for me. Pretty big transition. I didn't have too many friends coming into Auburn. So, it took me a while to find community. In the fall, I met a few people, but in the spring is when I felt like things were really starting to heat up. And Christian had asked me to go get dinner at Moe's Barbecue in Auburn, which is still one of my favorites to this day because I still live here. But I was sitting and, and Christian, I remember you just pouring a lot of life into me in a way that I think I really needed to receive in that season because you can hear things sometimes at church, but it doesn't feel as personal until someone looks you in the eyes and tell you the value that you have on your life. And that meant a ton to me. And I remember you asking me a question, which was so innocent. You go, "And well, what are you doing for spring break? And I was like, oh, I have no plans and uh, he said well you need to come with me and my friends to the beach and I was over the moon excited like that was the day if I could like that would be the day that I said college started for me because that was the first time I remember going home being like oh my gosh I finally have some friends that I can go hang out with and uh, that spring break was iconic for many of reasons and that was a great trip yeah arguably one of the best of college for me
0: it probably was the best of college for me for sure yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of college, you know, because I mean, obviously, you know, we did life together for four years and we still do life together, but not not, not, not the way we did it in college. Um, what are a few of your favorite college memories that you remember, whether it was, you know, fun, fun stuff or, uh, you know, Bible study stuff or community group stuff? What are some of your core favorite college memories?
1: Yeah, a few things come to mind for me just because I think I might have a different vantage point at auburn you just i I did a lot of stuff in school i was involved with a lot of things on campus and i really enjoyed doing that but uh some things that i remember specifically uh was our sophomore year the iron bowl which is when we beat alabama 26 14 that was the first time we stormed the field and that's also the iconic game where a lot of people got stuck in the bushes and this was like a bigger deal to espn than us even winning the game because there were so many memes from that but I do remember that moment. I'm not sure if we were even together, but when I think back at college, like that was an I was like looking around. I was like, we were on the field, and I remember Sensei Mud, you know, coming out there. Um, all these football players were out on the field, and I was like, this is incredible. And they're way bigger than I thought they were standing up in the top of the bleachers, pretty much, going down there. That was a that was a top moment for me. So I'm a big football fan, and that was fun. Um, of course the many beach trips that we went on, you know, you teaching me to surf a little bit on a foam board, which I just consider a really big boogie board because I could never get up, but that was always fun. And we'd always make some late night trips to Whataburger, which is iconic. Nothing beats a honey butter chicken biscuit after 11 PM.
0: That is so true.
1: So true. Um, and then, yeah, it, it, it's, it's more than even just a common memory can portray, but any and every Bible study we had in college. Like that's where real community was found. So though I can't point to a specific moment there's something about Tuesday nights, pretty much all four years of school where I was like, this feels like my safe place. These feel like my boys that are surrounding me and really where I learned to walk with the Lord a ton. So I point back to those moments as really shaping me and being a lot of fun.
0: So from the ski trip to the beach trip, I obviously packed different clothes, but the one thing that I brought was the same was my AG1 travel packs. When we got to the when we got to the beach, honey thought we were still in the snow. It was kind of this funny thing. She did not really tell the difference, but obviously we could tell the difference because it was about 70 degrees warmer and going back to a hotter climate. I needed more immune support, right? So I love taking my AG1 with me. I uh, worked out a couple of days at the gym, but even if I didn't work out, just going out and sitting in the sun, I needed something in the morning that you know, was not going to sit heavy on my stomach, that was going to help my immune support, that was going to help my gut health. And AG1 did that for me while I was at the beach this past week. So AG1 was designed with ease in mind so that you can live healthier and better without having to do a lot. It's seriously the healthiest thing that you can do in under a minute. You have 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day off right. And that's just in every scoop. You mix that one scoop and as much water as you desired. And with that, you get better gut health, mood support, boosted energy, and it's even great for your skin, hair, and nails. It's one thing for all the things. But we've all been there, right, on the supplement aisle looking for uh, what's going to help us in whatever stage of life we're in. And Athletic Greens has been just an all-in-one thing for where I've been at in life. And I've told so many people about it. And because so many people I know that just get frustrated to go into the supplement store and looking – uh, for an all-in-one thing or for looking at something that's going to help them and I just tell them about AG1. And like I said, I've had my neighbor on it now for a while. Sadie takes it. I've had uh, the duck Hall room guys on it and my parents take it. My brother's taking it. So everyone that I've told uh, that has taken it and tried it loves it and um, they're all pretty much hooked on it now. And speaking of supplements, if you're looking for an easier way to take them, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com huff that's athleticgreens.com slash huff. Go check it out. What do you because I know you know in college you had different plans than what you ended up doing. So, you know, what were your plans post college versus what you ended up doing?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of this was reshaped given what I did in school. So I grew up, you know, personality. Was there? I liked connecting with people. So I grew up saying, hey, I'm a people person. I knew I wanted to be in a job that was frontward facing. You know, I wanted to see people as opposed to being, you know, behind a desk. And so that was my mindset going through there. And then this also might kind of overlap with the last question. But I remember uh, being a part of a group. We call it War Eagle Girls and Plainsmen. That was a huge night for me. Just all my friends were there to support me. But it was through that experience where I got to meet a lot of people and talk to people who I didn't know. And so for those who don't know, this is like a, an organization, Auburn, that's like a host of Auburn. So you get to like go to these events where donors would be or if they're acknowledging a specific type of person, like that type of event. You're there at the door and then just getting to sit at tables, giving a student perspective, to some people who are maybe graduated or who are not a part of Auburn, just wanting to learn more. So I remember getting to talk to a lot of people there, plus being uh, a marketing and PR guy. I was like, okay, I've got it. I'm going to be in sales. Like that was Chad's destiny was to be the best salesman. Like if you need a pen, I'm going to sell you a pen. Like I'm going to give you the best ballpoint you've ever seen. And so graduated in the midst of COVID, which was a nightmare because everything got shut down and I interviewed for what seemed like 50 jobs. Like, I'm not kidding. I probably applied to 50 jobs, maybe had 10 of those 50 got an interview and then maybe two of those 10 got like an email back and long story short is like, I didn't get a job until, um, later that November. So, you know, we graduated in May, of 2020, and I spent that whole season of life there, just what I consider being a full-time volunteer at our church here in Auburn. And you know, when my rent went out in July, I, I kid you not, I was living out of my car, like my closet. I had one of those like, uh, you know, closet like rods, the, like the, yeah, know yeah, you rod, yeah, the rod racks, in, yeah, yes, like in my car, all my clothes are right there. And the idea, the mentality was, okay, I'm going to ask someone. To breakfast, and at breakfast, I want to hear about how you're doing. One, I want to know what you're planning for the rest of the day, and then three, can I stay on your couch tonight? So I was looking, I was looking for a one day lease, seven days a week, uh, pretty much from July all the way until October.
0: Was that was that difficult? You know, not getting a job after graduating. Well, because I mean, absolutely. I mean, and and we can go there if you want, but just you know, with you being a people person, mm-hmm. I know that that can also come with like people pleasing. You know, at the same time. And maybe when you feel like you're not valued for that or honored for that, how do you feel like with your personality you kind of wrestled with that and, and and overcame that sort of feeling like you could have like you were rejected?
1: That's a really good point. Even as you're saying that, I'm thinking back to those seasons where my idea of any interaction was trying to impress somebody enough to give me an opportunity in that season because I was so isolated by occupation like I didn't have a job I wasn't getting paid but I also had nowhere really to go I didn't want to go home um, back to Marietta which is where I was from that was nothing against home I just I would have rather been in a town where at least I knew people were and I could do something as opposed to just going home and sitting behind my computer wondering why am I not getting a job and so yeah it was difficult I remember um, I remember thinking why Why am I specifically put in this situation? You know, like I, I felt that I'd done some really good work, studied hard, was involved all four years of school. And then it just came to such an abrupt ending. I mean, there's some people still to this day where I never got to formally say goodbye to them um, before or after graduation just because it was cut off so quickly. And when the people person quickly has his people taken away from them, you try to fill that void with something else. And yeah, that can that can really lead to burnout fast. And the way I describe burnout, I I think the burnout is just a result of unresolved anxiety. So the way that I was sitting in my anxieties, I was just quickly being discouraged day in and day out. It was like I can't find a path to get out of this season, though I couldn't control it. Obviously, mm-hmm. COVID was COVID, but I mean, I was like, I was hitting a wall everywhere. I was going nothing of which was Chad's plan, which you were asking me about came true. Yeah. If you always met right in the middle and was stuck.
0: Yeah. Well, cause because well, you had also a high, right? You're, you're senior year, you're Weg P mm-hmm. and then you go from being Weg to COVID to not really having a graduation and then to not being hired. So, because for the, for the, well, first off, for those listening, can you kind of explain what, what Weg is? Cause it's like a super like elite, I don't want to say elite, but it's, It's that sounds cultish, (laughs) but it's like a group of people at you know at Auburn where you know you get recognized for being a value for, for numerous different stuff. But you know, did you find any identity in that, and was that like did that play any part of like, you know, not being offered a job, like out of college, knowing that nine months before you were one of the top people in our whole senior class.
1: For sure, to answer that question, a yes or no, yes. Um, and to explain it a little bit, yeah, that group—it uh, one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was so much fun. But it's it's by title. Like if you read it on paper, it's called the official host of Auburn University. So anything and everything that is event related, or if they need someone to travel to another city for an Auburn related event. Odds are there's going to be a Plainsman there, which when Christian was saying Wegpe, like that is what that is. So we wear these orange jackets. It looks like we're wearing pledge coats for two years in the, in the September games, brutally hot. Cause we have to wear those to every football game and you're just sweating in there, but it's worth it. It's worth it. We'll tell you. And then, yeah, to kind of tag onto that Christian, hundred percent, man, I, I was thinking throughout that, I was like, Oh my gosh, more than this is like a, high accolade of my junior and senior year, I was like, this is one hundred percent gonna get me a job that's above what I could have thought or imagined. And then, that, that was my
0: perspective. That's what I would have said. Oh yeah. You know, if if I look at a plansman, I'm just automatically assuming that they're getting the best job out of college. Right. Right.
1: And I think that really falls on the individual. Like you kinda get out what you put in, you know, if you're willing to go shake some people's hands and and really connect with them that's going to be like your first interview if you will because it's your first exposure to them so a really good networking opportunity through that organization but i mean i remember building up to it like ever since i was a young kid i relied so much on my position for validation and what i was doing like i think about it last name is barfield so b a Or the first two letters, so like second grade, I'm the line leader for the lunch line. You know, like I've always known being number one. Like I've wanted to go, and it's not healthy. But from a young age, I've always realized, okay, I'm gonna do that. Fifth grade was like the morning news anchor, and then high school, you know, morning news, do SGA or something there, and then you get to college, and this happened. So I realized just slowly through my life, I'd relied so much on the next thing to give me validation in a season. And then when that was taken out from under me, there was, there was a real big... I mean, what I would consider just like an identity crisis. Like, what is my life actually built on when there's no structure around what you're doing? So, where it was once, hey, my name is Chad Barfield and I'm a Plainsman, suddenly turned into, hey, I'm Chad Barfield and I'm... And suddenly I'm scratching my head like, oh my gosh, who am I and what am I? And so that was tough. I mean, that that's why that season was so... Uh, I mean, what I would consider just redeeming for me because I had to search at a soul level who I really was and whose I was. We talk about many things on our
0: podcast, and there's not many stuff that we shy away from, honestly. And pornography is one of those things. Uh, Half of my guests, not even half my guests, honestly, I would say. Almost all of my guests have at one time walked through a pornography addiction, and it's something that I've walked through, and uh, which is why I don't shy away from it. And I know that sometimes it may not be the most comfortable subject to talk about, but in the church, seven out of every ten men and one out of every three women are walking through it, and it's you know something that we need to talk about, and it's something that we can't shy away from being real about. And defeating a pornography addiction really takes accountability because it's one of those sins where you can keep it in secret. It's not, you know, maybe something that you're walking through where people can see around you, but it's something that you you hide from people. And if you really think you're hiding it, you're more than likely not because it's impacting relationships around you and it's going to impact your future spouse, whether you know it or not. And uh, for me, it was something that I needed to get serious about before me and Sadie started dating and before we even met because I needed something that just limited the temptation, right? That's something that just cut it off completely. That's what Covenant Eyes does. And it just gives you that tool to help keep you accountable and also just to give you the peace of mind knowing that you can defeat this with accountability. And when you sign up, you will choose an ally who will receive your device reports and walk with you toward a life free of porn and the life that God also desires for you to live. And if you're in the thick of it and you feel like you can't see a way out or you feel like you're never gonna be able to defeat this, there's freedom and there's hope waiting on the other side for you. And that can happen with accountability through Covenant Eyes. So don't let shame keep you from the life that God has for you. Take back your life, your marriage, and your relationships. Try it free for 30 days by visiting covenanteyes.com and entering promo code HUFF at checkout. There's an app, but you're gonna wanna sign up on the website first. Go to covenanteyes.com, promo code HUFF at checkout. Can you end explain super rise. briefly, like super briefly, just how, what all goes into being a placement? Because it's a long process.
1: So I forget the numbers. I bet you interview about 200 or something guys, maybe a little north of that. And then they end up taking nine uh, people out of it. So it's a pretty intense interview process, two round interviews, um, four people return. So I did it my junior year, which means really those odds were like four out of 13. Um, so really I was one of four, uh, guys who were interviewed out of about 200 that got it. And I got to do it for my junior and senior year, huge honor. Um, pretty difficult interview process. You get interviewed by the board of trustees at Auburn. Um, sometimes the president of Auburn is in there and like the provost, a few other like big names are in that. And you're, you're wearing a suit and tie. It's pretty intense, but yeah.
0: You know, so okay. So post college you don't get the job maybe that you thought you're going to have hope hope to have and move to maybe where you wanted to move to and then all the stuff with the church kind of works out you're living out of your car uh now things are more stable what uh, uh what kind of season would you say that you're in right now
1: you're talking about present day yeah oh man i feel like every day is a step into affirmation of what the lord's called over my life i uh I mean, my calling to ministry is so detailed, um, walking with the Lord, that I feel like it's just undeniable here. But I would also explain to the listeners right now that I did not have, from a young age, this call to vocational ministry. It was not something that I felt like I grew up in. It felt like something I maybe fought my entire life, even to the point of uh, getting a job, kind of to close that story earlier. I did end up getting a sales job in Atlanta um, in November of 2020. And I worked there for about six to seven months, I want to say. I went from November to June, however long that is. And uh, I liked it. I liked the job. But I remember returning home every night and just being like, this is not fulfilling to my life. And I don't feel like I'm stewarding the gifts God has given me for his kingdom. And I was hard to reconcile because it was like, I'm making good money. I'm doing good work, but I don't feel like I'm adding value to this world. I feel like I was in such a transactional environment and I consider myself such a relational guy that it didn't overlap. So I had a real tension there and you know, if you want me to, I can go into detail about what it looks like stepping into my calling here. But for simple story told short, it's just the Lord created a way for me and I stepped into it and go into it. Go into it. Yeah. Yeah, man, this is a, this is a fun one. Um, You know, I, uh, was considering a lot whenever I was kind of going through my tough days in Atlanta. Um, I was doing just a version of medical sales, um, in the Atlanta area and would show up to work every day, classic nine to five shirt tucked in and a cubicle job. Like this is not impressive guys. I did not have like a traveling into hospital. I mean, it was still COVID like, so I'm like on the phones, I'm over here and I'm like, you know, I would go, hi, I'm Chad Barfield. So nice to talk to you, hang up the phone and be like, I am miserable. It was just kind of it it was it was deflating i remember going home uh this was in april and i had the best sales month um of anyone in our cohort or class i was sales producer of the month in april um produced a lot of revenue because at that point in 2021 a lot of the states had you know reopened procedures so there's a lot of surgeries that were happening and i was getting a lot of deals which was great and so i remember on the last day of april getting acknowledged for that like hey Uh, You are the top producer of the month. And then on May 1st, uh, my boss pulled me in to her office and, you know, they record your calls. And I went in there and I did something wrong. And she just chewed me out for doing something really poor. And I was like, less than 24 hours ago, you pulled me up like on a little platform here and said, hey, you were doing a great job. And the next day I was getting grilled. And so I was like, "Ah, that feels weird. I went home and I was telling my mom about all this. And, you know, I said, you know, I don't know how to explain this. But I feel like I'm supposed to go into ministry. And, you know, feeling is is sort of based on your head, not so much your heart. And so it's kind of hard to, to get there. I was like, I just have this feeling, but I had nothing to back it up. And uh, this is where the story kind of takes a little bit more of an intense turn. So, you know, I have a sister who, I mean, I love to death. She's six years older than me, um, lives in Atlanta now, and she's married. My brother-in-law is incredible. He also likes golf. He has beaten me once, so maybe he'll be in the master's. Um, waiting to see that, but they had, uh, they had come to our house like a few months prior to me having that day, the first day of May, that is. And they uh, knocked on the door and surprised my mom and I with a sign that says, Hey, we are pregnant with our first child. And we were just over the moon because, you know, my sister, she walks with the Lord in such a healthy way. And we were, I mean, we were pumped. Like I was going to be an uncle. Mom's finally stepping into the grandma stage. And we we're so excited about that. And uh, you fast forward a few months. There's one day where I came home and uh, my sister was on the back porch and was talking to my mom. And you know, I get home at like 5 30 every night and I saw them both crying outside. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I probably shouldn't interrupt that. So I was just sitting um, up at the bar, like, you know, we have a little bar top um, there. I was just reading in the afternoon. And my mom comes in and she runs to her attic real quick. And um, she grabs this book. And this book is a children's little lullaby book. And the context to all this is is crucial because my sister, she's six years um, older than me. And in between uh, those six years, my mom had several miscarriages, which was tough on her. But they really wanted a baby boy. And so they had this little children's book that my sister, who was probably three, four, five years old, at the time, they would read this book every single night, and in there, one of the pages was Hannah's prayer out of First Samuel three. Um, just when Hannah is praying um, to the Lord that she would be given a baby boy, and you know, it, it goes like, "Lord, if you just bless me with a baby boy, that one day he'll return to the temple and be a servant for you." And as they prayed that every night, like that was their thing. Before my sister went to bed, they'd be on their knees, they'd read this little children's book, close it up, go to bed. But that was a daily routine for them. And my mom still had that book and so when i walked in in 2021 and i saw them on the back porch um i had sadly come to realize that my sister had experienced a miscarriage um, from that same announcement that they had given us a few months prior and it was so heavy on our family's heart just because it's like oh man we were so excited like lord why did you take this away from us and my mom you know when she came into the house if you're still tracking with the story and she went up to the attic and she grabbed that book and she came back um, into the hallway, made eye contact with me, and she was like, you were supposed to do ministry. Well, after all these years, she had realized that the prayer that they had prayed, that, you know, Lord, if you bless us with the boy, that one day he will return and be a servant for you. like That was their prayer. And my mom said, hey, this is this is the calling on your life, um, to return to the temple and to be a servant to the Lord. And she came and hugged me and just kind of spoke a blessing over my life and And my sister, you know, still a heartbreaking season, but I still pray, um, to that, to that little form of creation, um, that she had for a while thinking that the whole purpose of that child's life, if you will, was maybe just to acknowledge that I did have the call of ministry on my life and to be able to shepherd people well, as I kind of step into this calling. And so, um, the story does end in a happy way. She actually it's gave awesome. birth to a baby boy um, who just turned one years old um, about a little over a month ago at this point. So they did eventually have their first kid and I love them to death. But in that season, it was really hard. But at the same time, it was like the Lord met me in such a tragic way uh, to redeem a lot of my story and for me to step into church ministry in a pretty triumphant way and confident way as well.
0: Yeah, that's so good. What do you feel like God saved you from? Hmm. That's a big question, but I want to ask it bluntly because, I mean, you know, a lot of us, I mean, God saved me from, you know, so many different addictions and just an awful lifestyle. But, you know, some people are more subtle, some are more gradual. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you were to put it pretty plainly, what do you feel like God saved you from?
1: I feel as though God has saved me from a life of isolation and inward focusing pride because everything i was doing in atlanta was always thinking about what can i do for myself how can i get better at the same time would go home and i lost my sense of community because i was so burned out from the day the guy who was once a people pleaser and loved being around people would suddenly return home and just crawl into his room not really knowing how to talk to people and it was i mean it was deflating me it was hard for me to realize that I didn't want to be around people because I was so filled with a day's worth of rejection. If you could imagine that, um, kind of being in a sales environment, you get told no 99% of the time. And so suddenly that translates into a life of being told no everywhere. You're so used to it that you're like, nothing's going to work out for me. And when the Lord brought me into this, uh, job that I'm doing now, especially working with students, it is so good to translate A life that i'm saved from a life that's focused on myself and in turn focusing on others and service and just speaking gospel truth over some kids who are walking through obviously big seasons of their lives as well middle and high school
0: you know when we chatted the other day you had mentioned that you were going through the book of uh hosea and if my memory uh is correct which i think it is you are my first single guest that I've had on the podcast. Oh, what an honor. What an honor, what an honor. Uh, but can you kind of explain a little bit about what you've been learning through that book and um, kind of just how you're, I, mean, I know I asked you earlier what kind of season that you felt like you were in now, but what have you been learning from that book and what do you feel like you're stepping into?
1: Yeah, man, Hosea has met me in such an unexpected way because it is just little old Hosea. Um, you didn't know it could pack such a big punch when you read the Bible, but it is one of the most entertaining books if you read it slow and in depth. But yeah, I, yeah, I did not know I was the first single guy on uh, on your podcast, so I consider that a high honor. Maybe you need to set the bar high here, but yeah, you know, singleness is one of those tough things, Christian, because you feel like if you're single and I'm I'm 25 years old, I live in a college town, it, it can be tough. You're kind of met with some things that are out of your control a little bit, but you focus so much uh, on what you need to do to get right that you forget about what it's like to be present with the Lord. Um, Galatians 5.13, I love the way it writes there where it's like, hey, we're called to be free, but just in that freedom, do not indulge the flesh, but rather serve, serve each other humbly. And so it's like a way of indulging in the flesh is thinking, all right, what can I do to get right? Or what must I do to perform as opposed to just being like, Fully present in the season that you're in. I think Mm -hmm. singleness is one of the most neglected seasons of a person's life because you're always trying to get out of it rather than remain in it. And so I've had to shift my focus to be like, okay, Lord, if you have not brought me someone to date yet or pursue well yet, then clearly you have purpose in this season. And so that was met in kind of a stiff way because I hadn't always believed that truth. That sounds like it's very mature. Trust me, there's been plenty of days, weeks, and even months where I was doubting, you know, if I'd ever find someone looking like that and then insert boom, Hosea. And I just want to talk really briefly on Hosea, which is the story, you know, uh, where Hosea is uh, married to Gomer um, or it's called to pursue Gomer. And it just kind of compares their relationship uh, to Israel um, and their disobedience as well as Gomer's disobedience as well. So we kind of get met here with Hosea two, which is a chapter that was, I mean, like the focal points of all that I've been learning. And it just talks about how, you know, Gomer's trying to take things into her control. And I believe it's in verse six or seven, somewhere in there, uh, where it says like the Lord will put thorn bushes in her path. In other words, if you want to take it your own way, the Lord's going to make it very painful because it won't be the way that he is leading you down. And then in verses nine through 13, there's the whole thing. It's like the ultimate trial, the ultimate doubt, but it's it's really the ultimate protection of the Lord because he's leading her to this place that Christians throw around this word a lot that's called the wilderness. Now, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but the wilderness is one of those words where I'm like, "Mm, do you you know what you're talking about? Do you really, like I'm in a wilderness season and it's just like, are you? Because I think the wilderness is one of the most valuable spiritual seasons of life you can be in. Yeah. Uh, the wilderness. I, I, I'm telling you, that's a place where you're gonna meet with God. But I will say, a way to know if you're in the wilderness. Now, I'm still in seminary. I'm in year two, so maybe don't stamp this approval on it. But here's here's how I perceive it. You know, you're in the wilderness if you are thirsty for the Lord. Like if you are seeking God and everything. You're not in the wilderness if you don't feel like you're connected to God, because God is not gonna lead you to the wilderness if He's not gonna speak something to you there. It's a very identity driven season of life because you're going to figure out who you are um i love the way um at passion this past year i know you were there uh christine kane i think it was who kind of described this where it's like yeah you know you're in the wilderness if you are thirsty for the lord and then we ultimately realize that jesus is the living water and so you know you find that the one source of water that it's given to you comes through the wilderness and uh there's that point in verse 14 is really what I'd like to put the focus on where it says, then I will begin to allure her and then I will speak tenderly to her there. And it's just like the Lord will bring you into the wilderness so that he can speak tenderly to you. And just like a sheep knows it's shepherd's voice. um, God knows you uh, the best out of anybody. So he'll speak to you in such a relational way where it only makes sense to you. And for me, a call it singleness, call it a difficult season of life. Whenever you are in the wilderness season, I, I'm just so captivated by the way that God speaks to you on in an individual way. Like you don't need any outside affirmation in order to feel this calling over your life where it's like, I am God's child. I am loved by God. He speaks to you in a direct way, met through the word, met through uh, prayer and really through community as well. So, I mean, it's a little bit, could obviously keep going on for a while. I love Hosea. If you're in kind of a drought season reading the word, maybe give, give that a read.
0: And even on the backside of that, you know, if we're talking about a wilderness season, like, yes, I do think it's where, you know, where you encounter God and, and it's where you truly desire. But on the backside, it is, I believe, really a trial period. Right. I mean, if you look at Jesus in the wilderness, I mean, yes, he's, you know, in community with the father and yes, he's. uh you know praying and fasting but at the same time he's being tempted by literally satan you know yep. it's not like one of the little demons it's like no it's actually satan himself tempting jesus right so <clears throat> yeah it can be a moment of time or a season or whatever you want to call it where yeah we are in the wilderness like we are meeting with god we are you know communing with him and it and it he is what we desire most but at the same time if if that is super strong from what I've seen in my life, usually on the back end, it's when I'm being hit the hardest by the enemy, right?
1: Yeah. It's
0: when I'm being tempted the most or, uh, you know, lured or trying to be captive, captivated by Satan or by the devil the most or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I do think people just throw that word around because it, it really does hold gravity, right? There's a, there's a heaviness to that word because it is where we go and, you know, really find out in ourselves what we desire most and what we love the most. Granted, this is, I'm not in seminary, so more power to you. Uh, I can, I can defer to you. Uh, But I do think that in those moments and in those times on the back end, that's when the devil is coming after you.
1: And I feel like he's always after an identity confrontation, even with Jesus in the water. It's like, are you really the son of God? And I mean, Jesus knows who his father is. And just like to that, when you are in the wilderness, it's, it's, you got to know whose you are. I think it's in, you know, verse 10 or not verse in chapter 10 of Hosea, um, skipping a lot, but he goes like when they were hungry, talking about the people of Israel goes, I fed them. And when they were fed, they became proud Um, or excuse me. When I fed them, they became satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. And so you should never, be satisfied, if you will. Maybe always be hungry for more of the Lord, so that as He's feeding you, you're kind of putting it on purpose-driven mission um, to see and to love others. So, yeah, I, I know trials are tough. Trials are tough, and, sure. and they're definitely they're definitely confrontational. For sure. Well.
0: well, as I mentioned earlier, you know you're heavy and you're heavily involved with acc which is the church that we went to um all throughout college and now Mm -hmm. you're still there helping out with the youth and doing a lot of awesome stuff what do you feel like you've learned um, you know just serving middle school high school up close and um what has that taught you what is that uh, what are some encouragements that has brought what are maybe some discouragements that have brought
1: yeah it's so fun cuz even as you're saying that i'm like the first thing i want to say is i feel like sometimes i will talk to 7th grade students more about what lebron james did last night than what they read in the bible this morning it's like you you live in the tension of like how do i connect with a 7th grader and then how do i teach them the gospel yeah. you know you kind of have to 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 bid your way into a deep conversation um working in youth ministry i feel like is a calling for some of god's strongest warriors i mean it takes a long time it takes endurance you you have got to sow very very deeply um and even even in a way where it, it feels like nothing is working you, you know that god is producing something great so i uh yeah i've been doing this about two years now um coming up in july of this year so by no means an expert but some of the encouragements that I have seen is, you know, I started with a group of guys um, when they were in ninth grade and they're seniors this year. So I was involved with them uh, kind of my senior year of college and been still with them all the way up until this point. And it's weird that the guys who are graduating, if they were to introduce themselves to the ones who were going into ninth grade, I guarantee you they would have no idea who they were meeting just because I feel like they are now resilient disciples of Jesus. And it it takes a long time, but um, I think, the greatest encouragement that I have learned is that doing life with these students, not just for these students, you know what I mean? It's not just like a one day a week type of commitment. This is really a lifestyle Mm -hmm. um, that you want to live amongst them. So it's not elevating yourself as like, Hey, just because I'm older means I'm better than you, but it's more so like walking alongside life with these students, realizing that what they're going through is a big deal to them uh, because it's the only world that they know. And the more that you do that, the more that you see a student eye to eye. The more that you realize, I feel like the heart of the father is really for his children to walk through life with them, um, not just for them.
0: Well, as you mentioned earlier, we're both in our mid twenties. Um, what are some things that you're seeing, whether it's trends? Because I mean, we, I mean, we do a lot of stuff for like eighteen to twenty-five year olds. So I'm not really in the mix with you know middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like you see different? in the students that are now versus when we were coming up through middle school, high
1: school? Yeah, you know, something that is kind of interesting is like the whole idea of the phone. And uh, I was reading a book very recently throughout one of the most alarming stats I have ever read. And it's uh, people who are born, I think it was 2008 and and later, uh, which is even weird to think about in general. In 2007, like I remember playing NCAA, like 07 with Kevin Durant on the front. I'm like, people weren't even born then. So something was just weird about that. And uh, there is a stat that said that over 98% of people who are born from 2008 and over are addicted to video games. And I was like, one, where's that stat coming from? Because it's almost hard to believe. Because I don't think we grew up in like a video game dominant culture. But identity is the biggest thing that I push for our students because they live in a virtual identity. Like They spend so much time creating this figure that is not themselves that when they take off the headset, take off or put down the controller and they return to reality, if you will, they're so invested with their virtual identity that they forget about their real identity. And so it's strange. I'm, I'm not saying that it's Auburn-specific, but I think in a general culture-appropriated, um, I guess, idea of that is that for most of our students, it is, it is not you know, going anywhere further than the simple gospel that it says like, hey, listen, you are a child of God and you're so much more than your accomplishments and all, all the things that you want and desire. Like, yes, you may get them, you may not. But the one thing we want our students to know is that they, they were made for more than this world has called them to live, that they are a child of God and that they are chosen um, to do great things for this kingdom. Like they they are God's chosen people to do his work, even at the age that they're in.
0: Dude, that's so good. That's so true. I mean, because <clears throat> yeah, I think mean, even for like video games and I would say, yeah, phones and stuff, we really were kind of just on the cusp of that. But now right. people that are that age, that's <clears throat> all they've known their whole life. You know, that's what they've been born into and what the, what, what they've been raised into. Last question I want to ask you real quick because you mentioned mm-hmm. seminary. um, And I, n- you by no means have kind of fallen into this, but how do you feel like... Because I feel like this can be at times, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I I love seminary. I'm not bashing seminary by any means. But how do you feel like you've kind of gotten to where, like, you're in seminary, you're still heavily involved with the youth, but at the same time, you're not like, you know, you're not, it's not like a religiosity thing of like, oh, I know so much more scripture than you. Because I think Mm. sometimes, like, you know, seminary can breed people that are just, I mean, from what I've seen or just can can just be arrogant just with theology and with knowledge and stuff uh, that to me, it's just a big turnoff. And uh, I just don't like those people (laughs) 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 at at all. Um, But for you, how do you feel? how do you find that balance, you know, of, yes, I'm leading the youth, but I'm also learning seminary and teaching them things that I've learned, but not from a standpoint of, you know, look at me. I'm better than you. I know all this all this scripture and you know i'm not just overly religious but it's still a relationship that we have
1: a hundred percent man i feel like even in your question you almost answered it and that's why the bible writes it's, it's knowledge puffs up but love builds up yeah and one can know a lot of scripture but if they doing but if they do nothing with it are they really loving their neighbor like If you were just reading this up to elevate yourself, I do believe that you're almost destroying um, yourself more than if you did nothing at all, mm-hmm. which is a difficult thing to reconcile, to be honest with you, because seminary, I mean, it's deep level stuff. If you were a believer, you would walk into a seminary class, even if you were to sit in there for one day, you would be like, this is awesome. Like I get to spend an hour and a half in a classroom learning like the depth and context of scripture and all this theology. And so you're hit with that a lot, but one of the reasons I love kind of doing it part-time is because you actually have to, and by part-time, I mean, I'm only taking two classes and they're both online. Uh, so it doesn't consume too much of my time. But think about this. You, you go from learning the depth of the Bible and then the next morning you wake up and you go to Waffle House with a seventh grader. Yeah, Something so, like, come on, y- y- you know, all That's that awesome. student really cares about is how they how they getting their eggs cooked, you know? Yeah. And I'm over here, I'm like, okay, the context of Hosea, like all this stuff. How can one think about the depth of scripture, meaning it with the mind of a seventh grader? And not that I have a perfect solution to that, but what I've realized is uh, never let your work lead you to devotion, but let your devotion lead you to work. Meaning, the stuff that you have to study, don't let that be your one devotion to everything. Don't let school become the primary goal of your life. Rather, let your devotion, what you are learning from the Lord, lead you to work. And now the stuff that you're learning in school is not separate from the way that you were learning. I, I Something that was difficult for me, to be honest with you, Christian, uh, was like reading the Bible for school and then for myself. Like That, that was tough for my first year. But what I've learned is to allow my schoolwork to be that devotion. And then that devotion lead me to work. And what I mean for work, at least in my context, is to meet with students relationally, to be able to preach the word in, in a way that 7th graders to 12th graders um, or 6th graders to 12th graders can understand. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of my thoughts on on a brief path. It's not easy. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not. Um, but I'm with you, man. It, you never want your theology to separate you from your love. Um, to God's people. Yeah,
0: that's so good. Well, there's such a nice balance of that, right? You know, learning theology, but then also, like you said, meeting the seventh grade at Waffle House because it makes what you're learning be relatable, right? Yeah. Like if you didn't have that counterpart, if you didn't have the Waffle House, you know, meetups with your students and it was just theology, sometimes you can just kind of get lost in that world. And, you know, the way you communicate, the way you do stuff just becomes non-relatable, you know? So like t- taking these deep concepts that you have, and then applying them to day to day life that you do with these students, I think that's what makes it so beautiful and that's what makes it mesh so well. Right. Yeah. Well, Chad, I mean that I, I don't I don't I don't know what else we can talk about and we've kind of talked about everything.
1: Christian, you and I did you just we hear that thunder all by day. the way
0: did you What's are that? you are you hearing this thunder
1: on your end? No, nah, I ain't got any thunder over here. It's always sunny in Auburn, Christian. This is
0: that's actually not true. <laughs> It is thundering so loud here right now, so I just didn't know if you heard that. No, nah, I don't hear it on my end. Man, well, is 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 there any closing, uh, any closing statements that you want to make?
1: Man, I I I feel like one. It's such an honor. Thank you for having me. I want to honor you and the work that you have done and what you have stepped into, Christian. But I uh, I think that for viewers, whether you know you are working out. Um. right now or on a run or even just sitting and listening to this, I always love to encourage listeners after they have taken something just to set it on pause and don't just consume this conversation for a way that's like, oh, that's great for them. This is disconnected from me. But if there is anything that you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to a listener right now, um, I-, I would just encourage people to just really sit in that just for a little bit maybe if it's in silence and allow the Lord to speak directly to you through this conversation. And then if not, um, God, we just pray that, you know, anything that was said that is not of you just be immediately forgotten um, from people's minds. And yeah. I do just lifting this whole thing up in prayer, um, Christian, because I, I love this opportunity and I love what you're doing for the Lord. But man, I just want people to know that, um, God is so in the middle of what you're doing. He's on the outside of it walking through you or walking through um, it with you, and i'm encouraged by all this and our time spent together so i love you man
0: i love you too man well I'm, i i uh, thanks for all those kind words and i think i'm going to go back and re-listen to this because you said so many like one-line zingers that were just so so powerful and so impactful i'm going to need to go back and re-listen to it and then take a pause yeah. after so chad man thanks for joining me i love you and glad that we uh, are still able to do life together even just being states away
1: yeah love you christian you'll be a brother for life
0: brother for life